Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards to Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. I have Chris Kaufman here. And kind of like it was last week, we do not have Simon Clancy. He is on holiday in France. Now, this guy, Chris, was in New York chasing around a couple of world champions. One of them lost, by the way. Then he went to Madrid to watch his beloved Liverpool FC win the UEFA Champions League Cup. And now he's on holiday in France. What kind of life is our podcast mate living? Not mine. <laughs> that's, that's the short answer. And that's really all that matters. Because yeah. that, that is not my life. And, um, well, good for him. Really. Seriously. Well, no. he experienced his good. sixth. Bless his heart. Yeah. He, he experienced his sixth. Well, although he witnessed three. UEFA Champions League titles, and we got to talking about how many titles we experienced in our lifetime. Now, I'm minted. I'm, I'm Mr. Rings, okay? I've experienced okay. 11 championships. 11. Okay, you counting the Canes? Yes. Okay. I'm counting the Canes, yes. Okay. I'm counting the Hurricanes. I'm Can counting- I count the Hurricanes like back when I was a Hurricanes fan? Sure, you could do that. Those count. Like, th- that was a long time ago. I was like teenagers and stuff. Well, yeah, because now, now that you think about it, their last title was almost 20 years ago. Which yeah, is I mean, sad. when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since they have guys that were on that team that have now, that have since gone on to the Hall of Fame, I believe. So that tells yeah. you all you need to know. But I, you know, I get to get at the heart of the question, like when have I been a fan of a team that sort of expected to be in it for championships? Yes. And and really, you have to go that far back with the Canes, even though I was kind of a marginal Hurricanes fan in my teenagehood. Um, but the only time I've ever experienced that in my life, truthfully, is, uh, you know, during the LeBron age uh, of, of the Miami Heat. And that's 
that's it. <laughs> you weren't a fan in 2006? Well, okay, no. I, but yes, I experienced that and I watched it and I was I was there for it and I was rooting and cheering and stuff like that. But I'm talking about like, did the Heat, did, did, did we really expect to be there every year like that? Like, like we were the, you know, the Heat were the, the team, you know, the swinging dicks of the league. I'm not sure that was the same. I think, you know, the Heat stepped up and Dwayne Wade had a magical run and, you know, we got Shaq and it just, you know, kind of, kind of all fell into place. 15 strong ended up working. Um, yeah, that year it, they, was, were the, they were the fourth favorite to win the title that year. The fourth favorite? Yeah. Yeah, the year they won in 2006. They were the second the, favorite out of the East. The age of LeBron, the Miami Heat were the New England Patriots. Yes, they were. <laughs> I mean, they everybody hated the Miami Heat. And the Heat, you know, expected to be there every year. And they were every year. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and you can and they didn't win them all, but – yeah, yeah, you can argue that the, the Patriots cost them one of those titles, and they should have won three out of four. Yeah, and the only uh, one they lost, they lost to a team putting out an all-time great performance in the finals. Oh yeah, that Spurs, that Spurs performance was. Yeah, and as we're learning right now with the Golden State Warriors, it is really, really hard to win three in a row. It just yeah, yeah, it is. You know, the I mean, you, you don't win them all. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, okay. even the Patriots don't win them all. I mean, they lost to the, they lost to the Eagles. You know, they lost twice to the Giants. Yeah. Now you said something interesting about the Patriots earlier today. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you called it over, but you were kind of, mm -hmm. kind of insinuating that the end is near. Mm -hmm. No, I, didn't, I don't think it's near. No. Well, yeah, it is near. Um, I don't think it's over because I think this is, this is a last dance here. Mm -hmm. But just put it all together. I mean, they've got so much coaching turnover this year, mainly because we stole them all. And, and then we've got also this thing happening with Brian Gain being fired, former Dolphins uh, personnel guy, by the way. Uh, Brian Gain being fired as the GM in Houston. And now, like, Albert Breer is coming right out, and he's like, you know, Nick Casario is the guy that's probably going to end up as the the next Houston Texans general manager and it, it makes me wonder it's like that's that's a lot of people because it wasn't just the guys that we stole right I mean mm -hmm. um they also had I believe their defensive line coaching what did he go to like Kansas City or something like that yeah um, so yeah so I mean it, it's, it's other people too. Belichick all but announced that he's calling all the plays this year on defense yeah I mean he's gonna have to himself. Yeah. Yeah, and they got what they they even got um you know they did that the same thing with what's his name again. The um the former Rutgers uh and Tampa Bay Buccaneers guy uh forgetting his name Shiano, escapes. Greg Shiano. Shiano, yeah, and, and of course Miami guy. Yeah, they did they did the same thing again with him like, "Oh yeah, he's on." And then, "Oh, nope, never mind, he's off." Yeah. Um so yeah, I I just think I just think that they're they're fleeing like they're setting up their next their next stop every all these young dudes are setting up their next stop including nick casario who's been you know he's been like uh what's his name out in uh baltimore um eric uh what's his uh, what's his face uh the gm the assistant gm out there like everybody wants to get him and oh, I forgot his name yeah i know the guy that's uh ozzy newsom's assistant uh and and it's like you know you can't you can't root him out of there 
because he's just going to, he's just going to take over. Well, Nick Casario has never, I don't think officially been the GM up in new England, but there have been teams trying to get him out and it always comes off like, you know, useless or, uh, you know, fruitless effort. Now all of a sudden he actually is going to go to Houston. Now all of a sudden a guy like Brian Flores goes to Miami and whereas other assistant coaches come off of New England's tree and they can't bring assistants with them, all of a sudden Brian Flores can get, you yeah. know, uh, Jerry Shaplinsky and Chad O'Shea and, uh, and Josh Boyer and, and, you know, other guys that have worked in New England before. It, I, I, think, I think they're all just preparing. They're all like, you know what, next year's going to be the last one. They're going to go for the championship again. And uh, and then Belichick and Brady go go away, and, and we don't want to be there when they do. And they should have a pretty good leg up because I don't see – I don't know, maybe you maybe you see something different, but I don't see the, the competition in the division to even – Well, there's the Dolphins. Oh, boy. I hear they're going to be good. In two years. <laughs> when they're gone and then we can take over. Then it's us versus Adam Gase for the title every single year. <laughs> Speaking of Adam Gase. Oh, my God. This the wild-eyed. This Todd McShay thing has so many facets to it. Think about it. He breaks the news, and he's kind of an insider, right? Yeah. But yeah. he kind of breaks the news by leaking it to ESPN and then commenting on his own story. So <laughs> did Todd McShay actually leak this to Adam Schefter? And then told Adam Schefter, okay, now you have to ask me about it. And then I'll rip the things. Like, That's this awesome. is a very weird situation. I understand that Mike Mayak got a job, and it looks like he's getting along splendidly over there, although they signed Richie Incognito, which is one of the strangest oh my God. signings. Uh, it better be a, a camp body because – not that he can't play. I don't, it doesn't matter what. Play. He's going to put somebody in a body bag. Like, he's going to yes. shoot somebody. Yeah, because here's the thing. The la it's not about his play on the field because the last time we saw him play, he's obviously a pro, and he used yeah. to be a pretty good player. Yeah. But this is a guy who is – I don't want to say that he has CTE, but this is the, uh. the walking embodiment of why banging your head against another human being for 10 years is a bad way to make a living. And they're feeding into it. They're letting him do it more. Yeah, so hopefully it's just a camp body, Okay. Okay, Chris, last week on the show, me and Simon were talking about the Dolphins and how they could be bad. And we kind of came to, the, to an agreement that they're likely going to be bad. But let's play this game. I'll take the good, you take the bad. All right, Chris, tell us why they could be bad. Okay, we're going to pretend they've, they've, the season happened, they were awful, and I'll tell you why. As much as we want to think about Adam Gase and Matt Burke's mismanagement of the, the roster or the systems and everything like that, which, which happened, uh, they still took three years. Adam Gase had three years, uh, and the defensive staff had three years to influence the personnel that they acquired and build it for their style of offense and their style of defense. And I think particularly on the defense, I think that the current defense that they're switching to, and they need to switch it, they need to rip the Band-Aid off because they need to go to a high IQ defense, um, a, a fundamentally sound defense, one that plays with leverage and, you know, and, and plays with intelligence, as opposed to the wide nine, you know, bastardization that was being tried under Matt Burke um, 
they need to do that. But at the same time, they built that that defensive personnel roster to play that that old style of defense. I mean, they didn't do it particularly well, but you can't go to the complete other side of the spectrum and expect them to just be better or to play really well. I think that you've gone you've gone from a defensive line unit that was built to play with wide splits, right? Wide splits and to play attack, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And now they're going to be playing with tighter splits, all right? They're going to be closer together, bunched up, and they're going to be all about read and react. And that's that's so that's so different. And some of these guys that are on the roster that you think of as being pretty good players, they're going to try and do this and they're not going to look like pretty good players anymore. Yeah, cuz uh, they're going to be they're going to be asked to think a little bit more. No. Yeah, and they're they're going to be casualties, and they're going to be casualties of the defensive line approach. And then you've got a linebackers unit that, in the old system, was very off ball oriented. These guys were, you know, they they were stacked linebackers, mm-hmm. um, you know, playing behind the defensive line, uh, and they were, you know, sort of run first and then you know go and then uh, to the um, to the pass uh, play the pass. They're going to be playing. Well, first off, they used too many linebackers last year, right? And we've talked about mm-hmm. this a lot. So yeah. this was a defense that was oriented towards stacked linebackers. Now you're rolling that back. They're not oriented toward the linebackers unit anymore. And the linebackers that they do use, they need to be on-ball linebackers, line of scrimmage linebackers, guys that attack the backfield, that pass rush, like three, four outside linebackers, or that um, are playing a six technique or you know playing – playing up on a tight end, face up on a tight end, like, you know, uh, like a, a, a stacked, or not a stacked Sam, but an on-the-line Sam. The linebackers are changing in the style and the way that they're played. The problem is that you got Raekwon McMillan and Kiko Alonso and Jerome Baker to play that old style. Now they're going to play a completely new style. You know what? There's going to be casualties there. So then, then you got the defensive backs, right? At least they're staying a man-oriented defense, right? And And, mm-hmm. and that means that, Xavier Howard, you're not going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden Xavier Howard can't play, right? It's um, it's going to be it's going to be the same that way. But you're going to use so many more defensive backs, right? There, we talked about this so many times too. Uh, the Patriots were constantly in dime or even seven defensive backs. Uh, they hardly ever used only four defensive backs. Last year, Miami used four defensive backs, probably third. 35% of the time and five defensive backs the other the other 65% of the time that's going to be way different this year it's going to be six or seven defensive backs probably 35 40% of the time and they're only going to use four like maybe 10 to 15% of the time I mean if they're if they're like the Patriots which we think they will be so they're going to be overusing those defensive backs which means you need depth particularly in the safeties you need depth in the safe in the safeties and you need a little bit of different style of play in the safeties too and for all of this change that's happening at all three levels of the defense all three levels from defensive line huge change there linebackers huge change there defensive backs need a lot more depth what have they done in a from a personnel standpoint to transition this defense christian wilkins and that's yeah. it that's it. I mean, that's it, folks. I mean, anything else we're talking about, we're talking about scratch-off tickets, okay? Like Tank Caradine. That's a scratch-off ticket. Let's call that what it is. Um, you know, let, we're talking about the AAF players, and we'll get to those guys later. I, you know, I like some of them, but they're scratch-off tickets. Uh, Eric Rowe, there's a reason he's a low-priced dude that nobody really trusts to be the starter. Because he was uh, bad. 
<laughs> well, he wasn't that good. When I really looked at him and looked at his work in New England, I, I didn't appreciate it as much as I thought I would. And also, he can't stay healthy. There's that, you know. And, and so it's, 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 I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to think that they're, you're going to make this total other side of the spectrum transition from one style of defense to another and not really do anything from a personnel standpoint to make that transition. Uh, so, you know, essentially this is, this is all tryouts. <laughs> this year is just all tryouts. Yeah. And that is why they're going to be bad because they're using this year as just tryouts to see which guys will actually play all right in the new style of defense and new style of offense. And, uh, and then they'll, they can, you know, really whittle it down to those guys and try and build around those. So that's why, uh, that's why the dolphins sucked this year. Okay, so I'll take the other side, all right? I'll take the side of why they could be good. And the reason they can be good, and by the way, guys, when I say good, I'm not talking 12 wins or 11 or even 10. I'm talking about good as in they could push 500 and maybe beat over 500. Not that I believe anything that I'm going to say right here, but this is, this is why they could be good. The last time that Ryan Fitzpatrick was good in the NFL was with Chan Gailey as his offensive coordinator in New York. He won 10 games. He had 31 touchdown passes, okay? He was, by all accounts, a very effective quarterback that season, okay? I like the skill position players on this team. Now, why was he good in that system? Well, you told me before the, the podcast started that he came from an Earhart Perkins system under Chan Daly. Daly. Did, yeah. And that's what he's going to be running now under O'Shea. Now, that's not enough, of course, but you know, you know what I feel about Kenyon Drake and Kellen Balaj. Mm-hmm. I could envision easily where those two guys can account for two thousand yards out of the backfield. Like I can see it. Like I can see it. And if that happens, good things tend to happen when you can get two thousand yards from scrimmage from your top two backs. It's happened many times over history. The last time that, was, that it was a perfect example of this was the Atlanta Falcons because mm-hmm. since then they've been trying to replicate their formula that got them to the Super Bowl with Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, and they That's couldn't right. duplicate it. And all those other years that they couldn't duplicate, that one magical year where the two guys combined for over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, well, you saw the results. They didn't make the playoffs, okay? So – that takes care of the offense. We all like the, the, the wide receivers that we have on this team. We think that in space, if they get the ball enough and they have enough health, they can produce. And to be fair about the offensive line, and I'm not trying to actually denigrate them here, the, the duo of the offensive line coaches that Miami has with Pat Flaherty and, um, and Dave DiGuglielmo they were together with the New York Giants, and when they were together with the New York Giants, they had, like, what, a top five run blocking unit, I mean, clearly. Yes. Um, and they had exactly what you're asking for, which is backs getting 2,000-plus yards. I mean, it was – if you think about the Giants' backfield that they had during those years, during those classic years, that, that's what – it was Brandon Jacobs and, you know, Ahmad Bradshaw and, um, you know, they, they, they even got some – huge production out of guys that weren't even that good. Uh, so, you know, maybe they, maybe they catch lightning in a bottle that way too. Yeah. So that takes care of the offense. Now on the defense, uh, I said it last week 
on the podcast I recorded with Ethan Skolnick out at camp because he was asking me who's going to be the guy that you can go to on third down to get you a pressure, to get you a sack. I don't think that guy's on this roster. I don't think they have A blitz, that's it. Yeah, so they're going to have to create the pass rush through the aggregate. And can they do it? Well, if I'm going to make the, the case for them being 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, then they're going to have to do it. And I think that that guy could be Jerome Baker. I think Jerome Baker, I know that you, you're you not particularly a fan of his. As a well, I like him. Role. I like him a whole lot. I don't like him for this defense. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I can't reveal too much. But let me just say that what we've seen so far is that the coaching staff seems, I wouldn't say hell-bent, but they have designs on Jerome Baker being a pass rusher this year. Mm-hmm. Now, how many snaps does that translate to in preseason and in the regular season? I have zero idea, but I could tell that in OTAs, it's something that they are absolutely working on and probably banking on. Okay. So on the defensive side of the ball, you know, we we're going from Matt Burke to <laughs> a bunch of guys that seem to so far have designs on doing a lot of the things that we wanted them to do mm-hmm. previously. Now the personnel is not as good. Okay, because I'm sorry you lose a Cam Wake. And yes, even if you lose a Robert Quinn, you're losing something. And maybe they can create that in the aggregate. I doubt it as far as Cam Wake, because Cam Wake is still one of the best pass rushers in football. And I think he's going to prove it in Tennessee, by the way. But I like what they have in the secondary, at least the top five, and maybe something develops out of there. But that's the I case. like two of the pieces. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> well, I like a, I really like. Well, you know, you like only two pieces, which is obviously Xavier Howard and Micah Fitzpatrick. That's right. I love Rashad Jones. Now, I don't think I, I love the player. Don't love him for the system. Again, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Rashad really plays in this in this system in this role. I mean, it depends on what they're doing with him, mm-hmm. it, it, and we don't know a ton of that yet. Partly because he hasn't actually been there. Uh-huh. And partly because he might not actually be here. So it was interesting to see him come back to camp and talk about, you know, like as if nothing's gone on and like right. he doesn't know what the hell we're talking about as far as him being unhappy. But he's obviously unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, I, I, you know, my theory was last week on the podcast with Simon, I was telling him that I think that he looks around and he looks at a bunch of teams and he thinks to himself, you know what? I can help the Rams, I can help the Chiefs. Well, and Dominican Sue went off the Dolphins and played in a Super Bowl. Yes. They traded Jay Ajayi for being, you know, sort of a, a malapert, and he went off and won a Super Bowl. He's got a Super Bowl ring. Yes, he does. And Jarvis Landry's now playing on the greatest show on turf, so <laughs> in <laughs> Cleveland, right. which that, that remains to be seen because I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we, we trade Jarvis Landry to the Cleveland. This is supposed to be like, you know, the pit yeah, we of trade him to hell on earth. We trade him to hell on earth, and now he's in Disneyland. And now he's in Disneyland. He's he's like he's he's coming up roses over there. He's got Odell Beckham with him. He's got Baker Mayfield throwing the ball. They're like they're they're having Kareem, a ball. Kareem Hunt is on the way. Kareem. <laughs> yeah, they're stacked. That's a good team. That's a good football yeah, and, team. And, and, and Rashad Jones is looking up there. He's like, and more importantly, we're here. Yeah, and more importantly, like I said uh, a few weeks, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago when we were talking about the Cleveland Browns being good. More importantly, that division is deteriorating. Oh, yeah badly yeah yeah good i mean well, it's, they're getting better yeah. 
So if they're just helped into 10 and six and winning the division, that's a huge leg up to trying to make a Super Bowl. Sure, sure. So, yeah, and come on. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you wouldn't take 10 and six on a playoff berth and a division title right now? Oh, man. Are you, you went through 0 and 16 and 1 and 15, okay? Wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But I will say that it's about the secondary and, and this approach, you know, third down, you know, who's going to get the pressure and stuff like, well, you know, maybe somebody in the blitz can get the pressure, but in a man oriented defense, aren't you only as good as your weakest man? Yes. Absolutely. Cause that's the guy they're going to pick on. Absolutely. I mean, Tom Brady and Tom, I know Tom Brady and the new England Patriots are really, really good at this. Like they find who your guy is. If it's Tory McTire, it's Tory McTire and, and they're going to kill him. Now, let me ask you one question right before we go to break. And when we come back out of break, by the way, we'll have your Twitter questions. We have about six of them, maybe seven. I got to check the feed. But before we go to break, let me ask you this. What's wrong with Morris Claiborne? Good question. I, I didn't really like him his rookie year. I mean, or, you know, when he started in the league, he didn't seem but very He had good. a Pro Bowl caliber season last year. He but yeah, last, last year. year. Yeah. In New York. I don't know. He's not, he's not working. He's sitting out there. And nobody's working him out, or so. What did this guy do? You know, what's wrong with him? Is he? He's, he's not I, really a man guy. I've never really thought of him as a man guy. Is he? But uh, well, he was at LSU. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And he was for one season under Rob Marinelli in in Dallas, but they've mm. since gone to a different system. And then he kind of played his way out of Dallas. Mm-hmm ended up in New York and then had that renaissance year last year. And yeah. now he's out of a job and nobody's offering him anything. Weird. And I just think he'd be a massive upgrade. And if he's anything like he was the guy last year in New York, then we start to have something in the secondary. Yeah. I don't think they're going to do it, though. Do you think they're going to do it? No, because I think it's going to cost them a little bit of money, and I don't think they yeah. want to spend the money. And if you're Morris Claiborne, like you got to think Morris Claiborne has to hold up for at least two years with a big fat guarantee, you know? Mm-hmm. you know maybe two years 14 million something like that with like a 10 million dollar guarantee and that's sure. not something that they would want to pay at all i would say camp injury or something like that yeah so i don't know but anyway that was the case for them being good i i know it was pretty hard but all right when we come back we will have your twitter questions but first these words Hey, it's Seth Levitt here from the Fish Tank with my main man. O.J. McDuffie, the juice. And juice, we've got a special guest over the next two weeks in the tank. What's up, everybody? It's Pat Sertan, and I'm officially diving into the fish tank. If he was better than Peyton, yeah. he definitely wasn't better than me. Oh, there so we that's go. What so that's I wanted what to get, get yeah, That's where we're going with it. Did you mm-hmm. and Peyton ever play against each other in high school? Absolutely. Beat him 35-7. Wow. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. I had three rushing and two passing on him, accounting for all five touchdowns. Out <laughs> of hands and all of them. Yeah. Hey, Pat came so, in here saying he doesn't remember stuff, but he remembered remember all that. that. Make sure you dive into the tank to hear our entire interview with Patrick Sertan here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can catch up on what you've missed and hear new episodes every two weeks until July by searching The Fish Tank on Apple Music, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts. And we're back. And here are your Twitter questions. You submitted quite a few of them. I narrowed it down to about, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. Let's call it six, okay? 
All right. The first one is from Poldy Anslinger at Poldy Anslinger. And he writes, I read that the beat reporters messages on the OTAs and stuff. Okay. This guy, you know, he's a, he's a fan, but a little bit more concise. And somehow this kid from the AFL, Sam Egwaban, seems to come up a lot. He has. Mm. Seems as well. He intercepted Rosen twice already. He did that in one practice, by the way, folks. Did they strike he, there maybe? On he a did play? intercept him in multiple practices. So he might have had like four or five picks. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know, but I know it was multiple practices. And he concludes his question by asking, did they strike there maybe on a player that can be developed into a good piece? Well, first of all, let's, let's get it out of the way. He's small. He's six feet. Yeah, he's at two thirty six. He does not Absolutely. look like two thirty six on the field. He nope. looks, he looks like two twenty carrying a bag of groceries. Okay, he is. He's a guy that was signed, and I think this is important. Like he was signed before we had a coaching staff. Mm-hmm. I believe. I mean, if you check that. Okay, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't have it in front of me. I don't yeah. see it. But uh, I believe he was signed to like a few because, and I think multiple. T- teams were after him from the CFL he was um he was a big playmaker up there but he was a playmaker in the passing game so of course he comes to Miami what's he doing in, in camps already or in the OTAs and minicamp already is making plays in the passing game which is great I mean normally the NFL you love this um from your linebackers this is the way the game is going you want these linebackers that can cover um that can play three downs but in Miami, there's a different way that Miami has their linebackers playing three-down football. You know, normally it's it's if you can cover, you can play three downs because you can you know stop the run on the first two downs and then cover on third down. In Miami, you play three downs because you can defend the run and you can rush the passer. It's not the it's not the same, uh, and that's that's my concern about Jerome Baker that I raised, and it would also have to be my concern about Sam Agwam. Uh, coming from the CFL, where he looked like your classic—I mean, we've we've called those we've called those running backers sometimes, uh, where where they they have these running back converts um, like Shaq, uh, Shaq, uh, what's his name, uh, Shaq Thompson up in uh, Carolina. You know, he looks like one of those. He's he's a run and hit guy, and he's good in the passing game, or he's good good defending the pass. Is Miami going to find room for that? in a system that wants to overuse defensive backs, not linebackers. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know if they, they will, unless they, you know, convert them to something and they, they got something in store that I, I haven't really thought about. Here's going to be the key on Sam Agubon. He's going to have to be able to run and hit and find people to block on special teams, because I think that's the only way he makes. This oh game. yeah. Right. Okay. If he's special bad teams. on special teams and you're going to be able to see it right away, cause you mm-hmm. can't see it right away in camp. So mm-hmm. if, if you fans get out there to camp this year, you want to watch, and you're a fan of Sam Eguan, you want to see him make the team, well, watch him on special teams and see if he finds people to block, finds people to hit, because I think that's the only way he makes the team. Based right. on what I saw of him in CFL, I would not be surprised at all if he was a good special teams guy. So maybe he does have a future. Okay. Well, this guy has one of the best names. Of all our listeners, this guy has one of the best handles, Okay. Because his name is hashtag Whiskey Tango Foxtrot at I Need Tequila. <laughs> okay, and he writes at three yards, could we all be not putting enough weight behind the impact that a quality defensive scheme might bring? It's pretty apparent that the defensive coaching was pretty putrid last year, given Minka's recent comments. Awful. And Flores' scheme 
can Flores scheme us into something we aren't anticipating? Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and, and answer part of this, and then you can go, Chris. Mm-hmm. If what I've seen so far in OTAs and in minicamp means anything, they're going to be doing a lot of tricky things that we've been wanting them to do. And I would say, yeah, it's a completely different scheme, a lot trickier, a lot smarter, a lot of different personnel sets. Mm-hmm. Now, take it away, Chris. Uh, first off, background, because the they – you made reference to the Minka Fitzpatrick or the the questioner made reference to the Minka Fitzpatrick thing. Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald wrote a brilliant article uh, where he talked about some quotes that Minka Fitzpatrick had. This is not a guy that you think is going to roast some former coaches. I mean, that's not the kind of player he is, but he really, he really roasted. I felt like he roasted his previous coaches and Matt Burke and this one. Um, he talked about how last year, you know, the problem isn't that he just wants to be given one position and that's it. The problem is that he wants to know what he's going to play that week. And he said the last, last year, you know, some, sometimes due to injuries, but also a lot of times just because they didn't know what they wanted to do with him, he wouldn't find out what he was actually going to play that week until halfway through the week or, or right before the game. And it's like, how, how can I prepare? He was like, I can't prepare like that. He prepared a certain way at Alabama. He was, um, I mean, it's why they drafted him. They loved the way he prepared. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he said at Alabama, you know, I played multiple positions, but I knew what I was going to play that week. And he said in Miami last year, it was, it was ridiculous. He said, you can't do that. He said, everybody's like, just learn the whole defense and learn everything, but it doesn't work like that. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I saw that and I thought I was floored. I, I couldn't believe what, what he was describing about the, the way that system was run last year and just, just the way it was taught and implemented. That's, that's what it really, and that does fall under the purview of the head coach. I think you don't have to be involved in the actual coming up with a defensive game plan to have standards about when your coaches actually implement the game plan. Like at what point in the week, they implement it and at what point you know how much they put on a rookie's plate and at what point what the communication is like that that's all directly in the the head coach's purview so anyway off that yeah yeah, defensive scheme is going to help the Dolphins a lot it's going to be a high IQ scheme it's going to be fundamentally sound um and they're gonna they're gonna play situational football a lot better than than the Matt Burke defense did but here's the problem do you have the personnel that runs this scheme as opposed to the other one that's the question that i that i had because you can't just assume well if they weren't if they weren't good for the last scheme then they must be good for this one no that's Mm. not that's not the way it works that's not the way football works man yeah and this is a much more intelligent group you could just tell that's coaching these guys up now do these guys take to it that's a different story and Mm -hmm. that'll tell you if they're good or not like if they take to this defensive system they could be a top 15 defense it's not crazy you know, it's, you know, there's been t- defenses with a little bit less talent or equal talent that have been in that mid pack, which makes them competent. That can happen. It could, but I, I just like have to think like they didn't, they didn't go out and get all these veterans. Like, you know, it's one mm-hmm. thing because remember what New England did when they won that first Super Bowl? They yeah. got a bunch of veterans out there, like Mike Vrabel and, you know, stuff like, and they, I remember they won after they won that they're like, can you believe we won the Super Bowl with this bunch? Um, yeah. Yeah, they and, went out. They, was, they, they went out and they got a bunch of uh, what I like to call they could be good guys. 
Yeah, they did, but they were experienced guys too. Yes. They were experienced guys and they were targeted. They were like, this guy plays in our, our way, in our system. And I don't think Miami really engaged in that sort of turnover this offseason. They're more in the they're more in the um in the phase of, well, we're gonna see which of these guys are gonna be here and which guys aren't. Yeah, and they went and they're obviously going much, much younger. And you know my philosophy on that, you know, told to me by the great Brian McKinney, by the way. Brian McKinney mm-hmm. told me that if he were building a team, he'd put an old guy in every single unit. And not That's because right you know, he thinks that they would play right away, but just to have everybody do things the right way. He would put mm-hmm. an old vet that has performed before in every single unit. They don't have And that then everybody right. would complain about it even when he did perform well, like Frank Gore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Dolphin writer at CKodan1, CKodan1 writes, now that Game of Thrones is off the airs, is Billions the best show on TV? The answer is yes. I know you haven't seen it, right, Chris? Yeah, it could, it could clearly be this isn't the best show on TV because I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay, well, you got to watch it. Four seasons are in the books. And by the way, Mr. Dolphin Rider, I am Team Axe Capital. All right, next, <laughs> next question. By the way, I'm going to get a mug of Axe Capital, by the way. I'm going to drink my nice. coffee out of there every morning. You don't drink the most, coffee out of the three YPC mug? Oh, I have that the, too. The several hundred that you have? I got about oh, several thousand. By the way, anybody <laughs> wants a, a three YPC mug, you know, hit me up in the DMs and I'll, and I'll ship you one. All right. For money, of course. All right. Just Troy at Kecker's T. These guys, men with these fucking names, Kecker's T, because I'm picking up cold. <laughs> right. That's my favorite part about the segment. Okay. Do you think with pads on, the O line surprises us by being better than we thought? Coaching has done wonders for average to good all, uh, offensive linemen elsewhere. So could we be underestimating how good they may be? You know what? I'm actually going I'm, to I'm be kind, and I'm going to say flip a coin here. Maybe 50-50. It, maybe they are. Because I, I am a believer, just like the questioner implied, in the coaching of the offensive line, particularly when it comes to run blocking. Mm-hmm. I think that when you see good coaches kind of go from club to club, the the place where you see it impacted is in the run blocking grades mm-hmm. more than the pass. I think in the pass protection, maybe that comes down to a lot of other factors between the talent that you have and whether, you know, you've actually got a great left tackle or not. Um, and also how long your quarterback is holding the ball, what his experience level is and stuff like that. But you see it in the run blocking a lot This with the guys. And, and that's exactly where Pat Flaherty and, uh, you know, to some extent, David DiGuglielmo have really shined in their careers. So it could be interesting. I mean, you put Jesse, they already moved Jesse Davis to right tackle. Um, I don't know if it's permanent or not, but, you know, that's a good start because I think he and Chris Reed should be playing together on the right side. I don't have any faith really in Daniel Kilgore and Jordan Michael Dieter. If he, if he plays at, at left guard, then he's going to be, well, he's going to be a rookie. So, um, possible it's very possible now here's here's what i'm thinking we do expect our left tackle larry mutonsible to be elite okay will he stay Uh, on the field Uh uh, that's 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 also important but let me ask you this let's say larry mutonsible is as we expect him to be elite meaning he's one of the five best left tackles in football which i believe he can be and the rest of the offensive line is league average is that Mm. good enough Mm, no (laughs) <laughs> it's not, not good for the, the overall offensive unit, but 
it'll be it'll be a welcome it'll be a welcome respite from the suckitude that we've seen so over the last decade so you would need somebody else to step up there who who is your candidate to step up above league average of the rest of the four with the offensive line i mean laramie tunsil on one side and then i think I think it would be the right side, sort of like how at the end of Gase's I, one of one of the years, I think it was 2017, they ended up having like a decent right side with, you know, imperfect pieces like Jesse Davis at right guard and, and um, what's his name, Sam Young at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Juwan James was not playing, it was like that fun, that right side functioned really pretty well right at the end of the season. And um, it would have to be something – to me, it would have to be something like that. It would be like the Chris Reed, Jesse Davis right side is functional, is functioning at a, at a good level. And meanwhile, Laramie, Laramie Tunsil is Laramie Tunsil. Uh, this is Phil Riverone. I don't know if he's, he's <laughs> late, related to the, the head of officials. But at oh, Phil – I was going to say – I was going to say that, like, is that, is that like Latino Phil Rivers? I don't, no, it's not. <laughs> not because Phil Rivers, Latino Phil Rivers, will have to be. Well, no, Riveron, no. This is insane that I don't know. Well, let's go with the next question. I'll answer it. You Rios, and uh, Rios. Rios, of course, Rio Grande. And you supposed? Yeah, the Rio Grande. Yeah, you're supposed to pronounce it as Rio. Ah, okay. All right. Now, Phil Riveron, he asks, did any of the former AAF players distinguish themselves in the off season so far? Is there any hope of upgrading at center? Let's get the first one out of the yeah, way first. Did any of the AAF players distinguish themselves in the offseason so far? I would say no. I, did, I saw very little mm-hmm. of J. Ron Elliott, and mm-hmm. he looks twitchy. He looks, you know, he looks the part, but there was, it was really hard to see what any of the edge players were doing because, mm-hmm. namely, all OTAs and – Minicamp was about Ryan Fitzpatrick looking like the, the MVP this year. So, <laughs> so I don't know. But you, you seem to hold out some hope for some of these guys. Who are the guys that you like for this year? You know, it's interesting you mentioned J. Ron Elliott and the fact that he didn't stand out so far. And that's – I think that's – I've not heard his name from anybody. So, I'm um, absolutely I don't think he's managed to stand out. But, you know, it was interesting because I remember Cam Wake's first season, 2009, and – he did not stand out in OTAs minis um, and mini camps at all. And, you know, in, uh, in training camp, he wasn't even you know, getting written about quite a bit. It was in preseason when you really saw that blossom. On the other hand, this time last year, nobody could shut up about, uh, about Robert Quinn, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, you know, Robert Quinn is amazing. He's going to be this biggest superstar for us. And Well, my um, God, that, that Carolina Panther game, was it, was it that game in the preseason, the Carolina Panther game, where he could not be blocked? Well, I mean, but, yeah, that was, that was preseason at least. This, we're talking about OTAs and minicamps, and yeah. they were already talking about Robert Quinn and how incredibly flexible he is and how, you know, fantastic he is bending the edge and stuff like that and we haven't heard anything about J. Ron Elliott and we didn't hear anything about Cam Wake in 2009 this time of year either um, so it's interesting I, I don't know um, but that's that's probably uh, J. Ron Elliott is, is probably the biggest guy to me to look out for just because he can get the sack numbers based on the way that he does uh, 
bend the edge uh, and and rush the passer on pass in pass rushing situations and particularly his nose for the football and, and forcing fumbles which is uh, it's one of the more unique things that I've seen yeah he could he could make flashy plays that get his name out there in the papers uh this year if he makes the team and if he actually earns playing time which remains to be seen I also I also like Joey Embu the the nose tackle I think that he's going to be I think that he's going to make the team and I mm-hmm. think that he's going to actually play in the rotation uh so I would look out is for he him a, is he a he's so he's a, a zero type you would say yes he's a nose he's a 30 but he's got big 36 inch arms you know he plays with really good leverage and straight back so he plays like really he uses those arms and he gets behind them I mean, and that's not always the case with these long arm guys and he's also like he 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 has very very active hands like he makes an effort to use them and use pass rush moves and be quick and you know be active and energetic that way and again <laughs> you see guys all the time you're like oh what's he doing out there he's just kind of hanging out uh, you know another guy who i find found kind of interesting as i watched him in otas adolphus washington like like you can see hmm. there's something there interesting now he went to a big school, Ohio State. Now I don't know much yep. about him. He's he's been in and around football for four years. He's twenty six years old, so it's not crazy that he sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you remember of him? Because I don't I don't really know anything about him. I didn't really like him at Ohio State. I remember that. Um, and you know, obviously, he didn't end up playing that well with the Bills. Uh, and, you know, this could be a little bit like last year. Those guys. Those guys that would like Ziggy Hood and, and Sylvester Williams, they signed last year and, and all of a sudden to try and get a little bit of heavier, heavier hands there um, and stop the run. And maybe it works out. I don't know, but I don't, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't see him making the team. Yeah. You know, one guy that I do hold out hope for is Terrell Hanks. Like I think there's yeah. something there, there's something there and the team is light enough where he can mm-hmm. stick, he might get some playing time. So you know, any new any new guy acquired at that position, I think at that because the transition I mentioned is so different. Mm-hmm. The way they're asking these guys to play to me is so different, such a different job description that anybody knew that they get like Terrell Hanks or Trey Watson probably has a leg up compared with anybody that's that's old. Yeah. Now the last part of his question was: Is there any hope of upgrading at center now? We huh. thought that they might sign somebody as an insurance policy. Now, Travis Swanson, I guess, is still out there in the ether now. He, he, he yeah. hasn't signed anywhere, has he? No, I don't think so. I think he retired. He did. Well, that's interesting because so. he retired off a pretty good season, I thought. I thought he played okay for a guy coming off the Don't quote me on that. I thought he retired. But maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I made yeah. that up. I thought he played okay last year, you know, as, as far as, a, you know, a guy that was right off the street. I thought he played all right. Yeah, he did. Now, let me ask you a question about Michael Dieter. Is there any chance that he could end up there? Sure. I mean, it depends on – I mean, he might end up being the starter or left guard. So, he should be the backup center to me. Um, okay. But is there any know. chance – but let me rephrase the question. Is there any chance that he's the long-term fix at center? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought when, he, when they drafted him, I thought that was his best position. And not everybody agreed when they ended up – including the Dolphins. And we had that – we had that privately as well. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, no, we, we see him as, I mean, he can play there, but we see him as a guard. Um, and so it was like, yeah, let me, let me know. go ahead and, and, and tell you folks, uh, they like Daniel Kidgore guys. They, they like him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't ask me why. Well, yeah. he played, he played for Flaherty before. So you think it's yeah. one of those things where he yeah, knows the so. guy and he likes the guy. I think so. They played, he played for him in San Francisco. Oh, okay. 
All right. So, so you see there's no upgrade. You think that they're going to just ride with Kilgore this year? Ride or die. Mostly right. die. And, and, and we know what we know, which is that Dieter, they look at him as a left guard. So, mm-hmm. Although our own Chris Kaufman thinks that he could be the long-term fix at center because he liked him there at Wisconsin. Now I didn't like him. I didn't like him anywhere at Wisconsin. I thought he. I thought he was a little. What was the word that I used? He lumbered. <laughs> he lumbered yeah. around. Yeah, he lumbered. I don't like. Yeah. I don't like offensive linemen to lumber. I like guys yeah. that that run. I like. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm it not, wasn't. It wasn't. I, I will say this. It wasn't for me like like it was with Isaac Asiata. With when I looked at him, I was like, no, this doesn't work. Yeah. At Utah, um, this doesn't work in the NFL. I I don't think Dieter's like that uh at all i th- i think that he's he's better than that but um but he i'd say that he blossomed for me more when i saw when i looked at his his year of work at center because he's got such great length he's got such great length and it would be unique at, for a center to have that kind of length um so that would be more interesting to me yeah let me just repeat something that i said last week on the pod also since you weren't here and i don't know if you listened to the podcast while we were you know while you were away but Jesse Davis, God, he looks great in camp. Yeah. He's done something with his body. He doesn't. He doesn't look as thick as he used to look. He's starting to look a little bit more as a. He looks more like a tackle now. He's does, angular, smaller waist. Mm-hmm. You know, he looks different. He he played good as a tackle for two games, like six quarters actually, in 2017. Yeah, he showed up to camp. He's one guy who obviously took this very seriously and showed up to camp in great mm-hmm. shape. By the way, the guy that had him playing at right tackle, that was Dave DeGuglielmo. Hmm. So it all starts to come together. Yeah. All right. Let's do a quick two minutes here on the NBA draft, which is on the 20th of June. You seem to, you seem to be taken by this. Like, this is like a hobby of yours now, I guess. Yeah, it's become totally. If around this NFL time every draft, year, I become an NBA expert. Yeah. If the NFL draft is your profession on Twitter, let's say, and on this podcast, the NBA draft seems to be a hobby of yours. It's my I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Yeah. Now, first of all, give everybody your credentials, okay? You called. So did I. Uh, Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. And but also I also like called you. Laurie Marcannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also liked him. Marcin, I, was by huge, the way. I was huge on him. I, those were my top two. Yeah. And so, um, for that pick, good. you know. That's a pretty and, good uh, resume. And also, I will say, you know, Kyle Kuzma, nobody was talking about his ass. All yeah. Right? Although he seems to be like a problem child, a, a guy yeah. that can play, but he's a complete pain well, in the ass. I never ass. interviewed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's one of these guys who's who a complete pain in the ass that LeBron can't wait to get rid of. Yeah. <laughs> the first team that will take him. So <laughs> who are the guys that are, I don't know, uh, dancing around – the the far reaches of your head as far as the heat at 13 i think that the, for them it seems like it's going to come down to one of the the four forwards you know um whether it's the the european guy saku Dumboya or uh rui hachimura from gonzaga brandon clark his teammate from gonzaga or your favorite pj washington from kentucky mm. i think Who that, the more i watch uh, i don't think how i don't i don't see how the hell he makes it to 13 he, you know he's just so solid all around yeah but, he checks too many boxes and i think i think i i don't know if i said this on twitter or i told you in the whatsapp chat but nba coaches past the fifth like for whatever reason in the nba draft in the top five picks general managers tend to take big chances 
Mm-hmm. I guess because they know, like, you know, what, if my team sucks again this year and mm-hmm. I blew another lottery pick, I'm going to get fired. So might as well swing for the fences. You know what I mean? Right. But those GMs that are in that 5 to 10 range, they tend to go really, really conservative with their picks. Yeah, I, I agree. I've seen, I've seen it time and again, you know, guys that yeah, – and, and some people try, kind of paint Brandon Clark as, as that kind of conservative pick, and I totally disagree with that. But uh, P.J. Washington, like you said, it's a little bit conservative, but, he, but let's not – that might be unfair because he's young. He was a first-year yeah. player. Right. Um, So he's a first year college player. Uh, It's just that he's so well-rounded already and he's already got a pretty good shot and a lot of um, a lot of things going. He's he's a decent ball handler uh, for a big, you know, for a four type. Um, He's he's good all around. I just wonder, like, am I looking at him? When I'm looking at Sakuda Demboya or Rui Hachimura, they might be crap, you know, eventually. But I am looking at a guy that's like. You've got that unique unicorn type look to you that's like the wingspan and you can also handle the ball and you know do everything like Jonas or you know Kawhi or something like somebody like that. You know, you look at those guys, you kind of see that a little bit. You're like, ah, I, maybe, you know, that that's a shot. It's taking a shot. You look at PJ Washington, I'm not sure I see that, but I do see a really good player. So, and maybe that's just unfair to him. Um, my guy though is Brandon Clark. You know that. <laughs> That's um, Brandon Clark of Gonzaga, I think, just all the way around. Uh, he's a master, you know, offensively. He can score all day. Um, he's never scored – this year he never sing- – not a single time did he score in single digits. He, he's – I mean, he, he's got the best – I think he's got the best offensive rating out of anybody uh, if you look at uh, the advanced stats. And he's also got, like, one of the best defensive ratings, so his – so his net rating is just absolutely insane. And, and yeah, he's a little bit older, but that's partly because he had to sit out a transfer year. And I think that if he didn't sit out that transfer, he, he used that transfer year to actually work on a shot, totally, re, totally deconstruct it and build it back up. And he walked out with a pretty good shot. He's, I did this thing on Twitter. I was like, you know, hey, here's, here are the field goal percentages for everybody uh, on two-pointers away from the rim. And he was number one and everybody's like, Oh, he's got no shot. I'm like, what do you mean? He's got no shot. He's, he's the highest field goal percentage of any on two pointers away from the rim. Yeah. Um, great touch on floaters. Uh, he's, he runs around, he tests in the combine. You know, it's one thing if it's like Grant Williams, Grant Williams of Tennessee is sort of this good all around player, good offensively, good defensively, a little bit undersized. Um, but he's not a good athlete. He's really not a good athlete. Brandon Clark is a great athlete. I mean, he tests mm-hmm. out like a point guard. He tested out like John Wall, except he's six foot seven. I mean, that's you know, that's that means something. I think he, he's a pogo stick player, as they say. Now you can, you can jump from one foot, jump on two the way feet, out, jump as many times out, as you want. On the way out, let me ask you this: It's mm-hmm. been rumored, and it's it's been more than rumored because some people have spoken to to it, and I've tried to confirm it, and. It's been winked at to me, but not confirmed, that Brandon Clark kind of blew his workout here in Miami. And mm-hmm. they ran curl drills, and he shot four for 15 from three on curl drills. You don't think that's smoke? That, I, don't, I don't know. It, it could be smoke. Like, could they have completely made that up? Absolutely. They had Donovan Mitch- Mitchell literally stolen right out from in front of them last year. Yes. Just, or not last well, two year. Years ago, two, years two years ago. ago. Yeah. Let's just put that out there. 
the Utah Utah Jazz traded up one spot in front of the Heat and took Donovan. And we know, we know. Yes, they were on him. Yeah, they were, they were on to Donovan Mitchell. Yes, absolutely. So I don't know. That's a hell of a smokescreen to put out. Like, hey, man, this guy blew his his, his work out of here. Yeah, yeah and, but you know that's that's draft season. And we, for people that don't know, and for people right? that don't know, and I know that a lot of our listeners are football fans and they don't watch the NBA or basketball. But on curl drills, if you mm. shoot four for fifteen, that's terrible. You're supposed to shoot something like maybe eleven for fifteen, twelve for fifteen if you're a good shooter. You know, some guys go fifteen for fifteen. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the and and it's it's the most uh, obvious thing to talk bad about with him too because. He didn't take any – I mean, he hardly took any three-point shots. It's not that you don't – it's not that you know from what he's shown on the court this year mm. that he's a bad three-point shooter. It's that you don't know because he hasn't taken – it's like with John Collins. You know, yeah. remember John Collins coming out. Yes. He didn't he – didn't, he had taken like one three-pointer <laughs> in his entire mm. year. And so um, – and now he's added a three-point shot, a valid three-point shot to his game since he's been in the NBA. Um, and so you're like, well, can Brandon Clark do that? Well, one way to put some doubt in everybody's minds is like, yeah, you know, I don't know what, what he did in your workout, but in our workout, you know. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looked terrible in our workout. He almost fell yeah. down when he was catching the ball. But, yeah, yeah. that's something that can be developed. As, we, as we've seen with Justice Winslow, Justice Winslow was absolutely – Oh, my God. He was, he was airballing 60% of his shots. It was hopeless as a, as a rookie here. Shooting uh, from the outside. Now he's a dead eye three point shooter. I want to say dead eye. How could that? I still way above that. league average. I cannot fathom that. Yeah, well, he's done. that or Derek Jones, Derek Jones Jr. playing defense. <laughs> yes. All right. This has been fun. It's actually been a meaty episode for being the off season when mm-hmm. nothing is happening, folks. It's and we still managed meaty. to give you almost an hour of entertainment. All right. That's it. There is no more. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Superlight Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. 
That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code super24.